0: Let's go ahead and unpack. Um, We're going to cover Psalm 23 today. It is my favorite passage in Scripture. I love Psalm 23. And we're going to unpack this Psalm today. um, But a little bit of history behind it. Um, David is the author of this Psalm. And um, most biblical scholars believe, and I agree with it completely, that David wrote this Psalm later on in life. So David had been through some battles. When he wrote this, David saw um, and encountered uh, giants, and he encountered um, tragic situations. He encountered personal uh, letdowns and sin that he actually uh, 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 became a part of. And David messed up, and he bumped his head, and David went through a lot of tests and trials. And David is an older man now, and we're reading Psalm 23 um, through the lens of his hurt and his letdown, and some of his shame, and some of his most vulnerable moments in life, David is letting us in on so that we can know how to handle disappointment. So I want to pick up at verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I'm reading this, and I, I, I know a little bit about David's life, and I'm like, David, how in the world could you possibly be writing, you shall not want? Don't you understand that your wife left you? Don't you understand that King Saul hunted you? Don't you understand that your own, your, your, your own brothers, they hated you? How in the world could you possibly say, I shall not want? Well, church, I am here to let you know that it is about time that you stop proclaiming to God how big your problem is, and it's time to start proclaiming to your problem how big your God is. Worship is your weapon, and David realized that when I'm going through hardship, when I'm going through tough times, when I'm going through a season, even when everybody has left me, even when everybody has counted me out, I am pledged plugging in and I understand that my worship is the weapon where I cannot want. You see, your situation and your circumstances, they don't define whether or not you want or not. Your worship defines whether or not you want or not. In order to be thankful, you must be thoughtful. So last week, I charged everybody to get a thank you journal and I want you guys to participate in a thank you journal. If you haven't, it's cool. I don't don't shade you, I don't judge you if you haven't done it yet. I am not the personal best journaler, but God began to deal with me about journaling, so I'm dealing with you about journaling. You see, this is how it works. God deals with me and then I deal with you, right? Uh, But we should journal, like the reason why we should be able to say, hey, God has been so good to me, so the challenge is this. Every single day, I want you to write down something that you are thankful for that day. Because what it's gonna do is gonna allow you to rehearse the wins. Because it's easy to get in a funk, it's easy to just like really be so heavy laden with that one situation that's not going right in your life and you lose sight of the five or six things that are going right in your life. See, when we write it down and we journal, then what happens is we record God's faithfulness. And when we record God's faithfulness, we can rehearse God's faithfulness, and then a praise will rise in our hearts and cause us to lift up our hands and be able to say, God, you know what? I know that everything isn't going right, but you are the God who can make it right. You were faithful with me yesterday, and I know that you'll be faithful to me today. Church, I don't know about y'all, but I need you to level up because my, pr- my preaching is better than your praising right now, and I need you to level up. I need you to say amen. I need you to say hallelujah. I need you to say thank you, Jesus, because the Lord's been good to me. God has been too good. Amen? And so David would tell us that worship has to be our weapon. Even if our situation doesn't change, my attitude about my situation can change. David would tell us this, life will never be perfect. But when you fall in love with the one who loves you perfectly, you will not want. Life will never be perfect. I'm going to say it again, life will never be perfect. David would tell us this, life will never be perfect. But when you fall in love with the one who loves you perfectly, you shall not want. You see it's his perfect love that cast out fear. Being a follower of Jesus and anxiety is like oil and water. They don't mix. Because when you perfectly understand the love of Jesus, you'll realize that I don't have anything to worry or be afraid about because I know that he's with me. God is with me. And God was with David while he was in battle. And so what I want to look at, church, I want to I give you guys some, some lessons from the legend, David. And the first lesson that I want you guys to see is this. Number one. How well you're resting shows how well you're trusting. How well you're resting shows how well you're trusting. How are you sleeping at night? Are you, when, you come, when you get off of work, is your mind at rest? Is your mind at ease? How are you resting? Because the way in which you're resting is indicative to how well you're trusting God. Because if you're trusting God, you understand that God never sleeps and he never slumbers. And if God is not sleeping and if he never slumbers and if he wills to do his good pleasure within us, why aren't you sleeping? You see, God does the heavy lifting. Our job is to be able to have faith in a faithful God who's able to fight our battles. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, if you're weary, if you're anxious, I-, I want y'all to see this. We all know how to spell anxiety, right? What is, the, what is the letter in the dead middle of anxiety? I, I gotta take care of my kids. I gotta, I gotta pay the rent. I gotta pay my bills. I, I, I. Here's what I want you guys to know. Jesus is the lion who humbled himself to become a lamb. We suffer anxiety because we're lambs trying to be lions. Jesus is the lion who humbled himself to become a lamb. I'm sharing this with y'all because y'all might want to tweet it out because I feel like a friend might need to hear it, right? Um, But Jesus is the lion who humbled himself to become a lamb but we suffer anxiety because we're lambs trying to be lions. Let the lion lead. You see, this, this, this whole passage of, of the good shepherd, that's what we're reading about. You see, David, David took care of sheep for a living. Like, that's what he did. And so when a lion attacked the, the sheep, David stood up, and he protected the sheep. You see, it works the same way. David is nothing but a shadow, nothing but a shadow or a foreshadow of what Jesus would be to us. So when a bill tries to attack you, when a sickness tries to attack you, Jesus stands up, and he takes on the challenge, and he expects for you to rest. How well you're you're resting determines really how well you're trusting. And God desires for us to trust him, to trust him enough to follow after his plan. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, that makes us sheep. This is my favorite part of the message right here. Because this is, this is the space where, like, our pride really has to be crushed. Because you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think you are. And I'm saying you, but I'm really preaching to me too, right? Because we all get into spaces, don't we, where we're like, and the sheep did the same thing to David, and David is writing this out, and he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though he's charged me to lead these sheep, even though he's charged you to lead your family, leaders need to be great followers, and David is rehearsing and he's saying, "Hey, like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I remember when my sheep would get like a little unsettled when I was trying to lead them. David, are are, are you really leading me to green pasture? Are you really leading me to food and water?" Like, like, are you really going to meet my need? Like, are you really leading me away from danger because it doesn't really look like it. It looks like you're leading me into a painful and a difficult situation. We get the same way with God, don't we? Lord, Lord I know your word says that I should be abstaining from sex until marriage, but like, uh, like, like are you really going to send a spouse my way? Like, I've been waiting, Lord. Like, like I've been waiting, and it's hard. Like, it's so hard to wait right now. Are you really coming through? Like, are you really going to come through? Lord, I know your word says to trust you with the first fruits of my income and my tithe, but if I tithe to the house of God like you told me to, are you really going to meet my need? Can I really follow you? Like, like, can I really follow you, Lord? Lord, I know, I know you you said that like you need me to stay here at this job, but like, Lord, I don't know these people. Oh, my nerves, God. Like, really? Like, I'm 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 struggling here. Can I really follow you? Can I really follow you? And so here's 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 what what I, I wanna I wanna look at. So verse two says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Get the language, he makes me lie down. You see, the word shepherd means master, it means teacher, it it, it means special friend. So um, this whole like Jesus is my homeboy deal, he is, he's an amazing friend, but let's not get it twisted, he's our master. And so he makes us lie down in green pastures. So here's what happens. You see like when a sheep would get like overly anxious on David, because the sheep is like wondering like and worrying because sheep are defenseless and here's what we really need to understand and know you're defenseless as well too like i can recall story after story where i'm trying to come through for my family and like my wife's looking at me like you got you got an answer for this and i'm looking like yeah girl you better don't try me like that you know i know what i'm doing and i go to my prayer closet and i'm like lord um I don't know what to do. Like, like I'm, I'm, you know, like, like, I got a little girl, a five-year-old girl, and she's looking at me like I'm, I'm the hero. Like, I am the epitome of people when it comes to my daughters in her, her eyes. And, and I have days where I'm just like, man, am I doing this right? Like, we're really defenseless. So check it out. Because sheep are so defenseless, they're very anxious creatures. They get really, like, Like, nervous, because at any given moment, a predator could come in and take a sheep out. Like, they can't even growl. Like, Like, a sheep, like, this is their only defense. They huddle up next to each other and hope that the guy next to them gets eaten and not them. Pretty messed up, right? But God says that we're sheep, though. And so when a sheep would get anxious on David, And they would get so anxious, they would try to run away. How many times do we try to run away from the will of God because things aren't going the way that we thought they would go? How many times do we run away and we know that God is trying to lead us this way, but we like, ah, I see something better that way, God. So I'm going to need you to get on my program and I'm going to need you to come along with me so that you can be with me. And I'm going to pray that like this thing going to work out. It's not really how it works. So here's what David would do with the sheep. When they would get anxious and try to run away for the sheep's own good, the good shepherd will break the leg of the sheep and make it lay down. And God knows how to break your anxiety to make you lay down. He knows how to break your addiction to make you lay down. He knows how to break your depression. He knows how to break your pride. Watch this. He knows how to break your toxic relationships where you're trying to stay with Bay, but God is trying to tell you that Bay is Cray, and I'm about to break this thing up, and I'm about to make you lay down, and trust me. I'm about to break. Every situation in your life that doesn't look like me, why? So that you can lay down in my green pastures. He don't make you lay down in dead grass. He makes you lay down in green prosperity. He makes you lay down in green peace. He makes you lay down where you can get rest so that he can show you that the battle is mine. It's not yours. I just need you to lay down. That's a word for somebody in here today. Lay down. You need to lay down. Like when you leave church, you need to eat you some pancakes, get you some chicken, and you need to lay down. Lay down. Like that is a word for the house. Can can anybody receive that word today? I'm going to eat me some pancakes. I'm going to eat me some chicken, and I'm going to lay my behind down. That's a word for the house. Lay down. But this is, this is what God desires for us to do. He wants us to lay down in his green pastures. But, but and, and here's the next thing that I want you guys to know. Let's look at verse three. I love this part as well too. So, so verse, verse three says, um, let me hang on a second. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me find verse three. There it is. So it says, he restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So sheep are known to drink polluted water trying to refresh themselves. But how many times do we drink from an empty well trying to quench a thirst that only God can quench? How many many times do we try to use substances and relationships, and people, and career, and just working, 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 trying to satisfy a God-sized hole that's in our hearts. And when, whenever you try to look into uh, gratifying yourself in another way than God, it just makes the hole in your heart bigger. And you end up wanting and thirsting and thirsting, and I'll let you guys know, there isn't a pill potent enough to bring you peace. There isn't a bottle big enough to bring you blessing. The only way that you are going to receive Peace in your life is to follow after the Prince of Peace. It is peace in his presence. And the way to access his presence is to lift up your hands and praise. You need to maintain a posture of praise even in the middle of your pain. When you maintain a posture of praise in the middle of your pain, you are letting the enemy know, is that all you got? Was that all you got? Like you thought I was gonna back down because you did that, really? Nah, I'm still here, bruh. And you raise your hands and you close your eyes and you begin to proclaim, God, you have been so good to me. You are amazing to me. God, thank you for waking me this morning. I thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. I thank you the Lord is good and your mercy endures forever. I thank you that a 1,000 may fall at my side and 10,000 may fall at my right hand, but it will not come near me. God, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. You are the God who was and is and is to come. I thank you that every breath I breathe, I will I' give you thanks. I love you, Jesus. What is that doing? You are confusing the mind of the enemy. It's like, well, I, I thought I, thought that I was going to do it. That I did it last time. Listen, if you want different results, you bet you your praise got to be different. You want different results. Your praise got to be different. You can't just wake up and like, keep going through the same routines. No, you see like God has given us praise as a weapon. It confuses the enemy. And and what you do is you set up ambushments against the enemy who is trying to ambush you. And God desires, and, and this is the thing because God inhabits. That means he dwells and he lives in the praises of his people. So if you want more of God, you should praise more. If you want more of God, You gotta praise more, and I get it. Like we have majority millennials in the building right now, and millennials we're so analytical. We like to think ourselves crazy, don't we? We just be like, "That don't make sense. I ain't doing that one. Nah, I'm good. I read a book on that, and like the book that I read didn't say that, so that's not what I'm gonna do. I looked that up online, and um, I looked at WebMD, and um, but 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 the thing is this, like. God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We gotta get on board with following after him because he knows exactly what he's doing. Can the church shout amen on that? All right, let me give you number two. Number two, there is victory in the valley. Y'all heard me good. There is victory in the valley. I wanna read this verse to you guys Verse four, it says, "Even though I walk in uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." Why, David? Because you are with me. God is with me. Your rod is my, is your, your 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 rod and your staff. They comfort me. Listen, if I'm honest, I struggle with this passage, like I do. If God is the good shepherd, why would the good shepherd lead me into a valley? where it's so difficult to see him? Why would he lead me into a place where it's difficult to see his plan? Well, here's what I know, church. God will lead you into the valley because it forces you to trust in what he said, not in what you see. You see, he tells us that we must walk by faith and not by sight. You see, you're on surface, you're just looking at your loved one like, Man, I don't, I don't know, like, they're slipping away from me. I don't know what's happening. That's what you see. But what did God say? Because if you want to change what you see, you got to change what you say. In order to change what you say, your hearing got to be different. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did God say? It's time to put the word of God on your child. It's time to put the word of God on your spouse. It's time to put the word of God on your situation that you feel like is a giant. And I'm sure that when David was writing this passage, he was remembering the time where the children of Israel and their army was standing on a mountaintop. And then there was a valley in between them, and then on the other side of the valley was another mountaintop. And on the, the other mountaintop was the Philistine army. And a part of the Philistine army was a nine-foot seven giant. And he taunted the children of Israel all day long from sunup to sundown. So the first voice that the children of Israel heard was, you are not good enough. All of y'all are boys compared to me. Who will ever defeat me? I will kill you. I will kill your children. Like they heard the most violent threats from this giant, and you know what they did? They were paralyzed by words. How many times do we get paralyzed by words when there aren't even a reality? But if we'll put the word of God on the worries that we have, those words will fall on deaf ears, and you'll just believe in what the word of God has said. So listen, they're on these two hilltops, and they got this giant screaming at them and some of you guys every single day you've got fear and doubt screaming at you telling you what you are able to do and what you're not able to do you have your past and it screams at you every single day and David will tell us this there is victory in the valley Because in order for you to cut the head off of your giant, you got to meet him in a valley. Goliath screamed at them from a hilltop. And David shows up and he's trying to bring his brother's lunch like his dad tells him to. And his brothers are going off on him. He's saying like, why are you? In here, Don't you need to be taking care of some little sheep? Like, you're not even a warrior. You shouldn't even be be here, right? Like, negativity. And he's hearing negative voices from the people that are supposed to be on his side. And I feel like that's somebody's story here today, where you thought that your family members would love you. You thought that your spouse would love you. You thought that the person that you said I do to would love you, but some way, somehow, their voice became the enemy. And David is hearing the taunts from the giant and he's hearing taunts from the people that were supposed to be loving him. And David says, you know what? I believe that my God is with me. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine talking noise about not me, but my God? You see, you have to realize that when the enemy tries to come against you, the enemy isn't just coming against you. The enemy is coming against God and the word that has been planted in your heart. The enemy comes after the word's sake. And David understood, no, 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 no. This guy don't have a covenant with my God. This guy doesn't have, I don't care how big he is. I don't care how loud his screams are. I am going to take him out in the name of Jesus. And so David ran down the mountaintop into the valley and the giant met him in the valley. And it was in the valley that that it was hard to see in. It was in the valley where people was, afraid to go into it was in the valley where David was only left to trust in what God has said not what his eyes see and sometimes it's a blessing not being able to see because I wonder if David could exactly see the size of the giant would he still have the same faith don't be afraid that you can't see what God's next steps are for your life just take them and David ran into the valley and he killed the giant in the valley. There are some obstacles that you have been running from, but they will remain your limitation until you go down and you trust God enough in the valley. What are you afraid of? Where has your discouragement left you? What paralyzes you to make you feel like you can't go on? I want to encourage you, allow God to lead you into the valley. People say, like, why is it so difficult for me to hear from God when I'm going through painful situations? Why doesn't he scream louder when I'm in the valley? Well, here's the deal. There's no need for God to scream at you. He whispers because he's so close. He expects for you to be able to hear him because he's so close to you. He's so close to you. And it's in the valley that we win the battle. So there is victory in the valley. Don't be afraid of the valley because he is with you. And if God is with you, who could be against you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you, God, than he that is in the world. Verse 5, I want to look at verse 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So my third point is humiliation leads to elevation. Humiliation, being humble, humiliation leads to elevation. So you guys have to understand this about David. David was rejected by his father the man who was supposed to affirm him, the man that was supposed to speak life into him, the man that was supposed to encourage him and love him and train him up in the way that he should go, he was rejected by his father, Jesse. Jesse told uh, his son, David, you just stay outside. You're not even welcome inside the house. You stay outside and you take care of my sheep because don't nobody else want to take care of sheep. And David, with a humble heart, said, yes, sir. And he took care of his dad's sheep. He took care of every one of his sheep faithfully. And one day, one day, God spoke to the prophet of Israel. His name was Samuel. And he told Samuel, hey, listen, um, Jesse has sons, and one of his sons is supposed to be the next king of Israel. And I want you to go, and I want you to anoint him as king. And so Samuel's like, okay. And y'all need to understand this about Samuel. Samuel was a man of God. Like when he spoke, you can rest assured that the words that he spoke came directly from heaven. That when Samuel showed up into town, people trembled because they feared him the same way that somebody would fear God. So Samuel came into town and he told Jesse, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to anoint one of your sons as the next king. I'm gonna anoint one of your sons as the next king. So when I come, I want you to line all your boys up and I wanna be able to look at these boys and hear from God to see which one is king. And so Jesse lined up seven of his boys in the house and Samuel comes in and he sees his oldest boy, Eliab. And he says to himself, he's like, well, Eliab's got to be it. Like he's tall, he's handsome, he's strong. He's got to be it. And just before Samuel lays hands on Eliab to anoint him king, God stops him and he teaches the prophet a lesson. And, And God tells the prophet, hey, um, Man looks at the appearance, but I look at the heart. Man looks at the appearance, but I look at the heart, and we put so much focus on our exterior, don't we? We put so much focus on our presentation and how we, how we perform, but God isn't looking at the person that's on the outside. He's looking at the integrity and the character that's on the inside. And, and so he stops. He's like, no, he's not it. And he goes to the next boy and he's like, he's not it. He's not it. He goes through all seven boys and he says, none of these are it. Now I know I heard from God. Do you have any more sons? You see, I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but it seems like you've been forgotten. It seems like you're not even given a chance or an opportunity it seems like it will never come through. It seems like they're not even looking at you as wifey material. It seems like the women aren't even looking at you as husband material. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm about to preach to your situation right now. And I am letting you know that continue to do what God told you to do, because man may be looking at one thing, but God looks at it a whole nother way. Even though Jesse lined up who he thought was fit for the situation God says none of these are it and then Samuel says are these all your boys and Jesse says well there's David like I'm sure you don't want this guy and I don't know who's counted you out maybe you've had an ex that you thought was going to rock with you for a lifetime and they stabbed you in the back and let you down and they didn't see your worth or value Maybe there's a position that you have been craving at work and it seems like your boss just will not look your way at all and you have been outcast, you have been ostracized, you have been marginalized. I am here to let you know that God knows exactly where you are and if man forgets you, God knows you. God knows you. And so Jesse's like, bring him in here. And there had to be some hesitation because Jesse's next words was this. He said, I'm not sitting down or I'm not settling into your home until you go get him. And I am letting you know that there are problems in the earth, that there are things and situations that you are called to make a difference in, and they will not settle down until you settle into the rightful position that God has ordained for your life. And David comes in. And God says, that's him, that's the next king, that's who is supposed to lead Israel. And so David, I'm sure his brothers was laughing at him before Samuel made his decision. I'm sure, I'm sure his dad was looking like, man, like, look at him, he's dirty, smells like sheep, he's not fit to be king. He's not fit to be king, he's not even fit to be in my house. Well listen, just because David was outcast by his family, Jesse and his brothers, David had already been accepted into the family of God. I don't care who has rejected you. I don't care who may have walked out on you or not seen your value. God knows you by name he has called you and ordained you before you were even born. He knew you in your mother's womb. He formed you. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made that he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life and he is the one that is powerful enough to promote you to walk in the position that he has predestined you to be in. God is faithful. And so Jesse anoints David, watch this, in the presence of his enemies. You see, we want the promotion, but we don't want the pressure. We want to wear the crown, but we don't want to pay the cost. In order to pay the cost, or in order to wear the crown, you've got to pay the cost. Listen, um, hate always comes before you elevate. It will always come before you elevate. And I love God because he does it and he prepares a table for David. David wasn't even invited to the dinner, but God had already prepared the table for David. You may feel like you have never been invited into the space that you deserve, but let him prepare the table because watch this, God has designed the table already for you. And God sits David down in the presence of his enemies, and he anoints David in the presence of his enemies. And then David writes, and he says, that my cup overflows. Why does God call your cup to overflow? Because he wants you to be able to even get your haters some. Because you're eating so good, and you're filled with so much love. Because you're like, man, like, I know who I am. I know what I deserve, but man, like, I'm not too big-headed to, like, be honorary for this moment. You see, Saul was necessary for David, and Saul tried to kill David before he was king. His brothers tried to break him. His dad tried to break him, but there is blessing in the breaking. You won't know how to handle your position until you go through pain. You won't know how to handle being a wife until you've been through the painful season of not having a husband. I'm preaching good, y'all. Like, that was so good right there. Like, you won't know how to handle and appreciate the, the promotion until you walk in the lowly position. You see, David had to walk as a humble servant before God. And you know what? You know what really blesses me? After David was anointed king, Says that the presence of God was with David from that day on. But do you know what David did next? He didn't march to the king's palace, he went right back into the field and served sheep. Listen, you wanna, you wanna be known in heaven? Serve. You wanna be known by the King, of, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Serve. He knows exactly where you are when you serve. He will always find you when you serve. And everybody in this room, you have been created to make a difference with the gifts and the talents that God has given you. But we get thrown off, don't we, because our position doesn't match our promise. Come on, church. We get thrown off. God, this isn't what you showed me, God. Like, you showed me I'd be a CEO by now. You showed me I'd be married by now. You showed me that that I'm supposed to have kids by now. You showed me this. You showed me that, God. Where are you? God knows exactly where you are, and you're exactly where God wants you to be. And God, as long as you are faithful to where God told you to be, he knows how to find you with the blessing that he has ordained you with. But you have to be patient in the process. God knows exactly what he's doing. And I love this last psalm, guys. The last verse in this passage says this, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You got to know that even in the middle of your discouragement and your letdown and your disappointment, goodness is chasing you down. Mercy is chasing you down. Even if you've dropped the ball and you've messed up and you've sinned against God, goodness is chasing you down. Come on, man, we got to get a revelation of this as a church. There isn't anything that can separate you from the love of God. God loves you so much that there isn't anything that can separate you from him. Even in the middle of you being discouraged and disappointed, and you've turned away from God because things haven't worked out the way that you wanted them to work out, God is still chasing you down with goodness and mercy. David is writing about this, reflecting on how he committed adultery and murder within a couple days' time. David knows about falling short of the glory of God and messing up and making mistakes. And he's writing, man, even even when I try to, like, do things my own way and go against God, you still pursue me with goodness. You still pursue me with mercy. You still pursue me, God. You haven't given up on me, God. And for those reasons, David is writing these words with such a grateful heart, and he's saying, hey, you know what? My life may not have been Perfect. But I have learned to love the one who loves me perfectly and it cancels out all my wants and all my disappointments.